Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Sheila Nirenberg, founder and CEO of Bionic Site and Nirenberg Neuroscience. My claim to fame is that I cracked this code in the retina. So the transformation mathematically from images to the signals that leave the eye and go to the brain. As soon as I did that, I realized immediately the application of it is that you can make an artificial retina that could yeah. restore sight to the blind. I was thinking, well, if I could make, if, if, if that really were true and I could make, send the same signals to the brain, why couldn't I send it to a robot's brain? And so then I quickly patented that and started a second company. This is Sheila. She's a professor of neuroscience at Cornell Medical School and the founder of two startup companies in New York City. The first one is Bionic Sight, that develop new kinds of prosthetic devices. The other one is Nirenberg Neuroscience, that develop new kinds of smart robots. Her lab at the university focuses on basic science, and her companies take what's learned in the lab and use it to develop solutions to real-world problems. She won numerous awards for innovative research, including a MacArthur Genius Award. And she's been featured in a TED Talk, a BBC documentary, a PBS documentary, the Discovery Channel, Scientific American, as well as many peer-reviewed publications. The reason? Her work on cracking the neural code of the retina, i.e. the code the retina uses to communicate with the brain to allow us all to see. And that inspired me. And hence I invited Sheila to my podcast. We explore what's still broken in deep learning approaches and how that holds us back. We also dig into her breakthrough and what opportunities this enables for remarkable innovation that impacts all of us. During our conversation, she shares some of her biggest challenges, which were often led by the limited mindset of humans rather than driven by limitations in technology. She also shares her vision of what it takes to shape a software company that people keep talking about. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, that true value can arrive when we challenge ourselves to find innovative approaches that require exponentially less data. Secondly, that often technology is not the issue to drive meaningful change, but skepticism, fear and narrow-mindedness and how to go about it. Thirdly, the lessons to be learned how to go about funding and taking the venture capital route. And fourthly, 
the big lessons around having grit and perseverance to succeed. Well, hi, Sheila. Thank you for making the time today and be a guest on my podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I mean, I got introduced to you by one of my earlier podcasts, Adam Carter, the CEO of Luminoso, and I got intrigued with the story around your business. First of all, also that you are very well ingrained into the neuroscience business, which is always intriguing. I had a couple of podcast guests that came from that space. So finally, we are on the call and let's talk about the things that you are bringing to market. But before we start, a little bit about you. If you would have to describe yourself as a a person or as an entrepreneur, what what words would you use? Well, I am an entrepreneur, but fundamentally, as you know, for my day job, I'm a professor at Cornell Medical School. And then, you know, I had a couple of ideas that were, it's very hard to develop them, especially if you're trying to bring a treatment forward to patients. You have to raise money on a scale that you can't do as an academic. And so then I went the route of starting a company so that, that I could raise the money and be able to do it fast enough. Okay. Well, that brings me immediately to, the, to my next question. Like, what was the problem that you saw that required you to, to go this route and to accelerate getting access to money to solve it? Well, if it's okay with you, let me start with the computer vision story because it's easier to explain. And then I'll back up to how, how the other one happened. Because anything that you do in biotech has a lot of, there are a lot of problems that have nothing to do with being an entrepreneur. It, it's dealing with the FDA and getting regulatory permission. Sure. And it, it's an enormous, and so it, it's a tedious explanation and less good for a podcast, if that's okay. But I mean, it's up to you. Yeah, that's good. No, I mean, just let's start with the problem and the journey that you took, because that's, that's an interesting part as well. So what the company is the NN, and it's a new way to do computer vision. And so what it does is it's trying to solve problems the way, the way we do, the way our, our, brain, our brains do, and focusing specifically on the eye. So let me back up for a second and talk a little bit about the eye. So people think sort of that the eye is just a simple thing and that you're you know, the eyes like a camera, it takes images in, it sends them up to the brain, and the brain does all the hard work. But it, it's not actually true. The eye is actually a little mini image processor. So it's not like a yeah. passive thing, it's an active processor. And so what it does is it pre-processes the information, it pulls out the essential features that you need, and then it sends it up the, to the brain. And so it makes it much easier for the brain to actually use that information. So if you think of all the things that you have to do, you know, you as a person, you have to recognize faces. Like even as you're looking at me now, you have to recognize my, my emotions. I have to recognize whether you understand what I'm saying. All these things that we have to do, you navigate through an environment without crashing into, a, you know, into objects. You have to recognize objects. You have to recognize whether someone's attractive that you want to mate with them. I mean, in the context of evolution, right? And whether something's edible. So this is too much for the brain. And so evolution built an eye. And the, what the eye does is it pre-processes that information and pulls out features and then sends them up to the brain and the brain can then solve the problem. So it's like a, a kind of an agreement between the eye and the brain to do this. Yeah. Okay. So then the question was, if the eye is so valuable to the brain, what if we put the pre-processing of the eye in front of computer vision algorithms? Would it make computer vision algorithms suddenly much more able to solve problems? There's so many roadblocks right now with deep learning and, and other computer vision strategies. But what if you put this pre-processing step in front of the computer vision algorithm, would it now be able to solve problems sort of the way, the way we do? So that's the premise of the company. And so that's what I did. And, and it works remarkably well. 
for face recognition, object recognition, emotions, aggression, pretty much everything that we can do, it has the capacity to do. We've tested it in probably, I don't know, eight or nine different areas. Nice. And, and it works well enough that, you know, that, that Ford, the car company, licenses for us for self-driving cars. And Intel's partnered with us for a whole host of other applications. So it's very promising and we're, we're on a roll. And so that, that's the basic story of, of that company. Good. But like in terms of the problem that you're solving, can you be more specific on that? Is this for people that, I mean, first of all, you're saying that it's now used by technology companies, for example, by Ford to do self-driving. So this is not even about people that are losing sites that you possibly give, give sight back. It's actually for giving things that that have right. no sides, sides. Exactly. It's making sort of smart robots, but making computer vision work. So you can make applications to detect shoplifting or applications to detect whether people wash their hands or, or you know, like a, a car driving through space. So the way it, it came up was that I was working on a problem of understanding how neurons represent information. And I'm embarrassed to say it, but whatever. My claim to fame is that I cracked this code in the retina. So the transformation mathematically from images to the signals that leave the eye and go to the brain. We call that the neural code. It's the retinous neural code. So with that, as soon as I realized that I, you know, as soon as I did that, I realized immediately the application of it is that you can make an artificial retina that could yeah. restore sight to the blind. So that was the first company. If I could make a retina, then people who would, would who are totally blind, I could just jump over all the damaged part of their yeah. eye and send the signals and send the signals to the brain that are the same signals that they would get if they could see. So I started that company. And then I was thinking, well, if I could make, if, if, if that really were true and I could make, send the same signals to the brain, why couldn't I send it to a robot's brain? Yeah. And so then I quickly patented that and started a second company. Yeah, because that's all about the intent and understanding what's really happening rather than just seeing. But your intent and your perceptions are tied to what you're seeing. So yeah. just for my understanding that I get it right. So, so what is the opportunity if, if this is brought broad scale to the world? How will the world start to look different? Start to look different. <laughs> <laughs> Plan, yeah. Well, because it opens up applications that are not really working that well. So a lot of problems with computer vision are... You can get it to recognize objects, but only in certain lighting conditions. And if, yeah. you, if you change the lighting conditions, it goes to evening light. It doesn't work anymore. You, know, and that, you don't really want to be in a situation like that in a self-driving car or, in any, or, or anything. You want it to work. It doesn't phase us, right? We can drive you know, as any time of day. I mean, you put the headlights on, but it's, it's still it's not a problem. And similarly, if you, you know, I always use the example of if you fly somewhere you've never been, you get off the airport. You've never been there before. And yet you can navigate around the chairs. You can find a restaurant. All the things that you can do without prior knowledge. And so this is what the eye allows the yeah, brain yeah. to do. Yeah. So, so that's the key thing. So I'm bestowing onto that, hopefully conferring onto that, into computer vision algorithms, the ability to generalize to many different lighting conditions and many different applications. Yeah, exactly. When, and then, of course, to, to enable a lot of things that possibly were, well, that first of all, wouldn't be possible at all or, or a lot harder to, to go around. Because normally I think what you currently see with those type of applications is that it's programmed a specific way to do all those things. That's very hard to do because there's always new situations. Exactly. So it's not rule-based. You, you, you don't have to anticipate all possible things that it has to do. So 
like you were just saying, it, it, it makes things that were hard much easier, much less data is needed. Probably 10,000 times less data is needed to train it. So it's, that's an extraordinary advantage. It makes things that were much more challenging, much easier. And it makes things that seemed impossible suddenly possible. Because how are you supposed to get all possible? How much data can you get, you know? And we can do this with literally 60 repeats of an activity. Let me make a small interruption here. Sheila just made a critical remark about what defines the defensible differentiation behind her solution. Instead of going the conventional way of approaching a problem with AI, she went the opposite way. By cracking the retina's neural code, she can leapfrog millions of years of evolution and start solving very complex problems in a way that's much more impactful, fast and cost-effective. And she's just touching the surface with the opportunities ahead of her. It's a typical trait remarkable software companies master. They aim to be different, not just better. And with that, create an ability to create new value possibilities that we could not believe possible some years ago. And you can master these traits as well. I have two options for you to start. First, read or listen to my book, The Remarkable Effect. And you can find that on Amazon.com. Secondly, get into action right away and surround yourself by a group of like-minded people, tech founders and CEOs that will help you remove your blind spots, explore new paths and sharpen your thinking. How? Just visit valueinspiration.com and see the videos where many of your peers share their experiences with our tribe and what they have come to value most. Back to the interview. Yeah, we can imagine the universe again. In, very interesting. So in that whole development process and, and getting it out there right now with companies like Ford and with, with Intel, what did she do technology-wise in order to enable this? How was that journey? And what enables it to deliver this remarkable effect around it? Well, part of it is, you know, you need smart people on the other side because this is very different from anything else. And so there's initially skepticism. How come you're not doing deep learning? How come you didn't compete in one of the classic challenges? It's like, because it's not important to solve some academic challenge. It's like, let me just put it in a robot and you just watch it happen. And then you you can do, you know, so I sort of dared people, like if it's recognizing gestures, do the gestures right to us right to it, see if it can recognize your gestures or come see the robot and we'll put it on the terrain and send it down paths in New York City that it's never seen. So I had to figure out better ways to get people to believe that this worked. So that's always a hard part because people are, are more conventional, even though there's a lot of like, oh, entrepreneurs and innovation, they're not really like that exactly. So what do you mean there? They think in- they're innovative, but they're not. No, what I mean is, is that there, I guess there are a lot of people pushing things that are, don't really work. And so investors and companies are selling it to you are skeptical. How do I know this really works? And so you have to be sort of clever and outsmart them to not in a negative way. I mean, you have to be, find a way to, to show what you can do so that they believe you. So what did you do? What did you do to convince them? Well, I had them just send me your data. Let me, let me do it on your data. So that was a big part of it. And then, you know, they set up challenges and that, but that were specific. I said, I don't want to do an academic challenge. Give me a real problem that you have that you're stuck on. Let me see if I can solve the problem that you're stuck on rather than just compete in some academic contest where it's not designed to utilize what we're good at. So when they saw that we could do, one of the things we did with Intel was distracted driving. And so they sent us tons of video of people driving in Russia on incredibly hard. It was Russia just because the person running it, the program, 
was Russian. So he had a lot of people just drive like sort of like maniacs around this track and highways. And we could perform. We could perform with, you know, detect what person was drinking, detected, you know, all the things that they were doing that was distracting them with like 90% accuracy. And so it became very intriguing. Like how could, how could she do that? So, you know, you have to do something a little bit grand to get people to notice. So yeah, that was just because you understand how the human eye works. How do you human eye? What is the coding that it does up front to say, okay, this is drinking and so on, and that's it. Well, then a, a network downstream from that code has to learn. So it uses yeah. the output of that code to learn to recognize drinking versus, you know, scratching your head or some other activity. And so that's what we did. Anyway, and then the people get yeah they get their wow factor and yeah the, the case is clear and you can start solving the problem from that perspective. But yeah, I mean it's it's pretty impressive. You're saying ten thousand ten thousand times less data. I mean the very big part of the calls that I do are with companies that are in the AI space, and the argument is always we need more data, <laughs> not less. The only one where I actually that was well there's a couple of them that were about less data and one of them was typically of a company from Louis Rosenberg, Unanimous, who's created this technology where he's actually working with people to get things out of their brain because it, there's no data available. It's, it's here to make yeah. predictions that are far more accurate than, uh, than ever before. But normally it's about more data. And that's fascinating. And of course, also when you, when you apply your technology to, well, to accelerate innovation, I think that would normally be very hard to do and very time-consuming and very expensive to do become now suddenly a lot more yeah, approachable. I want to just say something about why it takes so much less data. It's because I'm using the retinas neural code. And so in a way, it's been trained by millions of years of evolution. So yeah. enormous amounts of data went into it, but evolution's already done the problem. My contribution is that I worked out what evolution did. You know, I mean, I worked out mathematically what that code was. But do you see what I mean? So it, it Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it, so the code has all that data in it, but it has and it has you know, millions of years of data, which is way more than you can do in a deep learning network. So, and so it's... It would take a couple of years. <laughs> what I'm saying is it's not magical. It's that evolution did it. That's yeah. all. Okay. And it's all patented and whatever, and you know. Yeah, I can understand that. That's something that you really want to have a patent on. What fascinates me, like, how can you kind of un- unravel mi- millions of years of evolution from an eye? Well, just in the transformations in, in the eye. I mean, because I have... I, I mean, I did experiments with animals, you know what I mean? It's not, I didn't just think about it. It's not just programming. It's I'm actually a neuroscientist working, you know what I mean, with yeah. neurons. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very well, fascinating. That is too much to go into detail about because then we lose everybody. So mm-hmm. in this whole process of, of developing this, what has been an early decision that appeared to be really important to where you are right now? Well, I'd say some decisions, I mean, a lot of people would have made the same thing, is to do work with angel investors so that I have the freedom to do it the way it makes sense to me and not get overburdened by venture capital direction, forcing me down a path that isn't actually logical because they don't know as much. You know what I mean? They're not, they don't have a neuroscience background. So Yeah. So it's to have the, the people behind you that support you in your vision and trust you in full rather than the people that say, okay, I invest in you, but I expect a certain outcome in a particular time of, yeah, beyond that. I, I mean, I can completely see that because at the end it's, it's evolution and sometimes you have breakthroughs and sometimes you don't, but it takes your knowledge there. Let me see. Where you are in your journey right now is you go to market with, with companies like Intel. 
that, that provide you with the use cases and then you solve them with companies like Ford. What have you learned in that process in terms of, yeah, from the selling part of it? Or is it still, still too early? It's pretty early. So we've just launched two proof of concepts in two big stores that Intel connected us to. And so, you know, we'll see how, you know, we're figuring out how much, how much this algorithm can save for them, you know, working out the financial deal, how to license it, whether okay. he puts it on a chip and markets it to everybody, you know, like the, the I would say the business sides of it are, are evolving. Yeah, I can understand that. And of course, the use cases from there as well, because it's typically a go-to-market model whereby you leverage partners to help them achieve their innovations and enable their innovations. So in finding out that model in terms of go-to-market with the companies that we've mentioned, I wrote this book about the remarkable effect, about the 10 traits that define a remarkable software business. You've chosen this route. You've chosen that particular go-to-market perspective. So what do you believe is a requirement of, of, to build a company that people talk about? Well, I mean, I can say one thing that, you know, about it, like, I remember when I was in graduate school, I heard a talk by Edwin Land, the guy who developed Polaroid. And he said, to be really successful, it has to be simple enough that you can, you know, say it to, I forgot how he described it, but, you know, the passenger sitting next to you in a plane. That's how yeah. I think, I don't know if how, that's how we, what he said exactly. And what I do is a little bit hard. You know, like, if you made, if you made Post-its, you know, you, everybody can understand what a, why a Post-it is useful. Or, but if you have to explain the, the neural code, you know, you can lose people, even in this podcast, we, we talked about it. So one of the challenges is, and also if you're going to hire people, like, you know, Jeff Bezos can hire lots of people to do, to send packages, because people know how to send packages. But how do I, how do I build up a large enough team to scale it up, and train them to do what I do? They can't go online to figure it out, they have to always ask me. So I have to figure out this is what I'm working on now is figuring out a smart way to make a tutorial, or to make people who buy it just be able to generate the data themselves and and yeah, create yeah. and create a solution because the easier it is the easier it is to scale and become a household name and if it's harder you know while it maybe gives me job satisfaction because it's it the harder problem is sort of fun to solve it doesn't necessarily make big money and also you have to make the choices of what what do you want to be do you want to i love doing it and that's what makes me happy but yeah. I do have investors and I have to make them money. <laughs> That's my job. So, Well, I guess it's finding that, that, that right balance, right? But it's, it's that great mix of doing something that makes an impact, that gives you energy and gives a return as well to the people yeah, that you're working with. Because at the end, it is a business. It's not a not-for-profit. I mean, so right now, Intel helps me with a lot of it, you know, that they're in introducing us to clients. And so I'm making it, trying to simplify everything. I mean, I've done a lot of this already so that it yeah. can just, it can just go, you know, but that's been a, that's a challenge. Make something yeah. easy enough that, that you can just press like the button on the microwave and your, and your soup gets warmed up. You don't have to know how the microwave works. No, so, true. Yeah. Nor do you and care. That's, um, that's the journey as well. I've had some interesting conversations with other entrepreneurs that also said, you know, just because the problem is a is complex one doesn't mean that it needs to be solved in a complex way yeah. or that, that, that the result of that is, is, is complex. Sometimes if you automate it away, it's like, that's exactly what you want to have. And that's what you did, I think. You've packaged it in such a thing that you, that, that particular thing makes anything other way better. Right, exactly. That's the idea, to make it easier for other people to do with much less data and to make it way better. That's really basically the whole story. And that's all I need to, to say in a way. Yeah. But, and one other right. thing is that by having two companies, 
And the other company, you know, working with patients, and we're in our third patient right now, we have two more coming in the next month, is that if the clinical trial works, it's also a huge amount of promotion for the, the other company, because you can make, you know, have the code go up to the brain and have meaningful understanding of the visual world from people who are completely, completely blind then people understand, oh, maybe, maybe that's what she's talking about in this company yeah. because of the two parallel things. So that you're using the same technology behind that to solve, the, well, kind of a thing problem or a, a human problem. It must yeah. be fascinating to see that, that people start, start to see again. Well, knock on wood. I mean, you know, it's the early stage and then COVID broke yeah. out. So it's, it's going slowly, you know. It, But good outsides that it will happen. What? insights that it will happen at some point in time yeah and you know it's happening but it's just happening slowly <laughs> right yeah. but- very interesting yeah that's that's really breakthrough so from the learnings where you what you've been through this journey right now what have been the biggest obstacle that you had to overcome tell a story on that i think that one of the the biggest obstacle maybe is that people have preconceived notions about how something should work and so when you come into a room and you're presenting And they're thinking, who is this girl who says she's a neural code and that this could work? How could she be, how could she have something that the whole computer, and she's not even a computer scientist. I mean, I I practically am now, but you know, how could she have something that this whole field doesn't have? So whenever you do something really different, the big wave of skepticism is tremendous. And so that's been a challenge, but I mean, I've, I've overcome a lot of this now, but, it, but, you know, I have to admit, I come home and cry and eat a quart of ice cream and <laughs> try to cope with the fact that people are unkind, you know, and plus it's, it's, it's well, I see it. I mean, there's two things to it. First of all, the, the disbelief that they are, first of all, that they are wrong. <laughs> and then the second thing is like, if this is right, we have a problem. Exactly. So it's both, it, you, you captured it perfectly. Right, the skepticism because that means that they they that they've been wrong and that there's a serious piece of competition coming up. up. Exactly. So they're they're you know they're not invented here and. Yeah. Anyway, and then, that, yeah. I don't need to say. <laughs> so. No, but that is so true. That happens within companies because of cannibalism of certain products, but it also of course happened at a competitive level. Recently, had the founder of Prevalian on my podcast who did something similar with cybercrime around cybercrime. It actually proved the whole world wrong. Really? Uh, people that have been that have been protecting big enterprises that have massive leaks. And oh, right. So of course it's so far- similar similar story. You know, this can't be true. And I mean, even companies that well that they exposed been uh, he's giving free access to that, but not even a thank you. <laughs> Because yeah, there's someone's role is at is at stake. So mm-hmm. I mean that's how that, that's how people work and unfortunately. I'd love to meet that guy and see how he coped. Do you know what I mean? It's interesting to me as in the history of the world and watching when innovations happen and, and how, how sure. people hope to get there. Because a lot of it is once you, having the idea is only part of it, but having the resilience to take obnoxious people and to take the put downs and. Yeah. And yeah, everybody has it on their roots, on their journey that, well, I mean, I ended my book. It seems crazy until it's not. And I took that from a company that was the startup that's actually, how do you say that? They're building houses. They're almost, like I said, they're automatically painting or creating houses through computer technology. And that was because they saw after 10 years of the disasters in, in, in Haiti, nothing has really, had, has really happened and they were going to solve it. And they were, solve, they were going to solve it first with 10 houses and now they're just spreading across the world. 
And that the argument on their website was crazy until it's not, which is what it is. Yeah. The technology these days is so fantastically powerful. It's, coming up with the right idea can be such a big difference to what we, we have always, but we've come to know, what we've come to love, become to what we've become used to. That sometimes it feels like what's going on here, <laughs> especially right. if you're on the other side that your business is at stake here. It can be hard. We should, be, of course, we all mean have people like you that just keep going because otherwise you never get to enjoy that type of technology because you can always also stop. So, yeah, I mean, what have you been most proud of in, on this route achieving so far? What is the story that you keep telling yourself when you have those moments where people are all, all, all against you? <laughs> well, so my strategy is I had like a postdoctoral fellow in my lab and she said she was talking about how to have confidence. And I said, the way I, have, you know, because I know this sounds sexist, but you know that, you know, you, as, as if you just decided to have confidence, it just doesn't make sense. I said, I, so I have confidence by backing everything with evidence. So I just, and especially as a woman, because I know that there'll be an extra skepticism in, not so much in the biotech side, but in the computer science side, it's a more harsh environment. As everybody knows, I don't think I'm saying anything surprising. So, but the more evidence I have, the more people just can't ignore it. So sure. that's how I build my confidence is with evidence. If I'm not sure of something, I do the experiment. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But if I'm right, I build it up and build it up and build it up until I have a strong platform. And then people can ask me whatever they want. And I, so when I give it like a seminar and I talk in academia, talk is 50 minutes, you know, five minutes. What I do is I talk for 35 and then I let for the remaining 15, I just let people grill me. They can grill me on anything they want. And then they'll lean back and say, okay, maybe this doesn't make sense, you know, and because evidence is everything. Well, True. back when we lived in a fact-based world, <laughs> who knows now, but you know what I mean. So. Yeah, well, that's true. And if that gives you the power to keep going, keep going with that route and it's valuable advice. Which brings me to well, one of the questions I normally always ask from all the this bit of wisdom that you've been building so far. What advice would you give other people? What advice have you received that really made a difference for you? Or is that the same advice? You know, it is, it is finding a way to be resilient, not to quit easily. But the key thing is the evidence too. If you know that, yep. if you really are right because you've tested and tested it, then just don't give up because you have the evidence to support it. So even regardless of what other people say, you know it's true because you tested it. If you're just having an idea and you're kind of a blowhard, then that advice doesn't apply because you're just... But, yeah. But how do you go about those ideas where there is no evidence, but where you just have to figure it out? You know, how do you keep kind of putting the mark further away? Well, I mean, if the evidence of testing whether your technology works, you know, so if you're thinking, okay, my technology can solve this kind of problem, can it solve this kind of problem also? So then you do the experiments to see, would it solve that problem? Where is it failing? And where is it, where is it strong? And if you're like in our case, our technology is versatile enough that if it happened to not be so good in one area, which, you know, the retina is good for lots of things. So it's not, you know, but we, we can pivot to something that, that's easier to sell. So I'm not yeah. so stuck with I have one, it's not a one hit wonder kind of technology. So, so that helps, you know, keep your hands in enough baskets that you can that's true. to yeah. succeed, but not so many baskets that you're spread too thin. I mean, I'm saying one cliche after another, I apologize. No, 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 that, that's, that's, but that's so true. The question at the end is like, wh how do you find your sweet spot? So how did you decide on your, where are you going to focus first? Because you can be very generic and be everything to everybody. But you can also say, no, I'm going to solve this particular thing, thing first. So was there any of such case that you, that you said, this is 
my ideal case, this is where I'm going to deliver that exponential impact? Well, yeah. So, but it started for a slightly backwards reason. One of my investors, you know, worked, he's from Goldman Sachs and he had a very strong connection with Ford. So he introduced me to the chief technology officers at Ford. And so we went there, but partly it's also because navigation, you know, getting around and doing collision avoidance involves not just processing images, but processing dynamic images, you know, changing in time. And you have to be able to handle different lighting conditions. And so I gave a, a TED talk about, about this, actually. And so it was a particularly hard problem and covered a lot of ground. So if I could do that, then I could probably do convince people I could do a lot of things. But it happened really because my, who my investor happened to know. If you happen to know somebody in the farm, yeah. I might be doing agricultural things, you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, who knows what can come up next? And that's all about connections. That That's correct as well. And sometimes it's just serendipity and you go for that and it works and that works better. And that's, well, with, with the pivoting, you, you come where you are. So I want to add something that, that it's also being like aware of the aware of the opportunity. So if an opportunity comes, but you can tell that it's not a good idea, don't jump at it. Don't jump at every opportunity. But the self-driving car idea and what we were doing, it was a good, and the investor, it all matched. But had he suggested something you know, non-ideal, I wouldn't have. So it's not, you have to be able to be, I don't mean it like, you know, cognizant enough of the value of an opportunity. So you're not jumping at every opportunity, but you're like, okay, this is a good opportunity fit. So it's a little bit of luck, but a little bit of being smart enough to know which, I don't mean that in a self-important way, but you know. No, no, but that, that's that's exactly what I was also talking about in terms of what are these traits of remarkable software businesses. They focus on the essence, but they know where the, what the North Star is saying. Right. So they keep it on that, on that route. And that rather than, right. Yeah, exactly. Because the moment you start to go and focus on, on short-term opportunities, it just drags you off. And so of course, we all have to pay the bills. But well, the question at the end is like, how far will it take you off so that you can come back again? These are the hard choices that you have to make every single day. And, is this um, in your book? Because I think I should look in your book. You should. <laughs> I think about a lot of these things anyway, but it's nice to, you know, to reinforce them and also to get new insights. So. Yeah, well, this is at the end of my book. People that have been listening to my podcast have heard this story so many times now, but it's, it's actually it was inspired by the people like you on the podcast. So after a year, that's how it came across. Right. And yeah, we're going to organize that part. So what is next for you? Where do you want to be in? Yeah, let's put it in months, 12 months time. Well, we should have gotten through maybe 10 patients for the clinical trial. So that's the key thing to me. And so if it starts to work, then I do another fundraise. So another thing, maybe I already said this, but is when I'm doing this, I try to make sure that I keep control of the company. That's really important to me. And so I don't want to do the fundraise until my valuation is high enough that I can raise money without falling below the 50%. So I'm perfectly happy. Once the treatment works, then I can sell it to a bigger company and that's fine. And they can develop it in a, in a large scale commercial way, but I got to make sure it works. So I have to, you know, it's everything to me. And so I'd say in, probably in a year, I'll know if this is going to work well enough to pivot it to a phase, you know, into phase three and, and get a large commercial partner. So I'm talking with an investor about that later today, actually. And, you know, just as I start to plan ahead, if it does work, this is the way we'd go because you have to plan, you know. True. And then the other company, you know, I, well, I, you know, I don't know. The possibilities are really huge for the computer yeah, i can imagine i can imagine yeah there's so many applications to that where we likely not even think because self-driving cars at the end is like almost like an obvious case it's all about kind of trusting the eyes of a computer 
before our own. So. Exactly. So one, what I focused is on, on our self-driving robots, because then I can work on that in my, in, in my, with my team. Because, you know, the self-driving car business is like the FDA. You know what I mean? There's so many regulations and getting everything right to the 10th decimal place. I'm not qualified really to, you know, I have to let the, the car company do that. And it's a non-exclusive license with Ford, so I can, I can expand that. But I can make my little robot drive around. And, you know, and I, I do this around Manhattan a little bit in my apartment complex and on the streets. And so, I don't know. And, you know, and then as you're doing it, you get more and more ideas of what else you want to make it be able to, to, to do. True. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, future ahead. Just imagine. And that's why I, why I started this podcast in the first place, you know, to, to see what value we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. Well, here we have a whole new yeah, bucket being ripped, ripped open with, with new opportunities coming out. So thank you very much for, for sharing well, the journey that you've been on so far and how you've overcome the challenges in order to deliver this to the marketplace. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to reading your book and learning more. And I hope we stay in touch. We will for sure do. Thank you very much, Sheila. And this ends my conversation with Sheila. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, I had the honor to speak to Sheila Nirenberg, founder and CEO of Bionic Site and Nirenberg Neuroscience. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. questions we've got answers business leadership ownership and sales can be challenging tune into the accelerate your business growth podcast to learn from the world's experts join me your host diane helbig as i chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business you'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas tips and suggestions you need to realize greater success Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.